Hey friends, welcome to the Sacred Story Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Wilcox, and I'm so glad you're here. During this time, we carve out sacred space to reflect on our God-authored stories, to hear from women in the chapters of their stories, and to think about God's greater story around the world. I'm excited to introduce ordinary yet brave women who are declaring God's faithfulness. I'm honored to be on the journey with you. Here's this week's episode. Today on the Sacred Story Podcast, we are going to continue our theme of unexpected turns. And these have been such great conversations because as you think about it, all of our stories involve an unexpected turn, something that we didn't anticipate, something we weren't looking for, or even in many cases didn't desire. And I love that some of the unexpected turns have more of an impact than others as far as a lasting impact. And the sister that is on our podcast today is such a courageous example of living through her unexpected turn with uh, dependence on the Lord and ability to see his hand in her story. So I want to welcome Erica to the podcast today. Hello. (laughs) Thanks for having me. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for having me. appreciate it. Well, you do live your story well, sister, and it's been such a boost to meet you. And I met you at the retreat, uh, which is one of the ways that we want women to be able to process their stories. How was that for you? It was great. Um, You know, the opportunity kind of came up to me a little bit of a last minute nature. And um, I was just really our surprise. guest. (laughs) Yes, yes. And I was just, um, you know, it was just meant to be. And for me, it provided a structure to kind of process through my story. And, um, you know, it's been something that I had journaled about and worked through and counseling and, you know, all this uh, good kinds of things. But it was just a really great platform for me to really map things out and um, be able in retrospect to really see how God's hand had been in the whole situation. Um, And it was encouraging hearing other people's stories and, um, you know, just great to have a community of other people who, you know, had their stories that, you know, look very different than mine, but um, just to learn from each other and be encouraged and relax and laugh. And um, it was great. Well, it was so fun because I remember you coming and just saying that you had had it in your heart to share your story Mm -hmm. and that um, God was bringing you along in that process. And So I'm so glad that the retreating is part of that. I know it is always fun for me. It's a fun time. And yet there is some, there's some, it's just a blend of different moments. Like what you're saying, the laughter, the joy, the processing, the reflecting, all of that. So, and I know as you processed, you titled your story, Like a Beautiful Vase. So what does that mean to you? How did you choose that? Um, so we'll get into my story in a bit, but um, a lot of the story revolves around infidelity. And one of the images that's often used is a vase that's been shattered and that it can be glued back together and it's not ever going to look the same, but it can actually be even stronger. And so that was my hope. And as you'll kind of see through my story, I really felt like my vase just kept getting busted over and over and over. Mm -hmm. Um, And I felt like during the retreat, the Lord just really showed me um, two things. One, just kind of thinking of the idea of us being, you know, these earthen vessels that um, hold him, but also with that vase analogy that it wasn't really to the place that I wasn't in a place where he could, 
um, make me a new creation and finish his work in me until everything had been pulverized, so to speak. So um, Mm -hmm. I'm able now to see the beauty in that, even though in the moment it was hard. Yes. Um, pulverization. Does it sound good? It doesn't feel good. <laughs> no, it does not feel great <laughs> in the moment. But, okay. So tell us, you, uh, you know, you, your story begins with a fairy tale marriage in a sense. It seems like everything was coming together and you, you even say that you seem like it was a way to fix your broken family. Yes. Um, yeah, I married my college sweetheart who I had met in a Christian community We had dated for five and a half years. My parents had gotten divorced after being married for 23 years as I was going into high school. And so uh, there was definitely pride in, you know, I'm not going to be a quitter. I'm going to do all my research. I'm going to date whoever I married for five years. And so I really felt like I was checking all the boxes Um, and, uh, and really to the best of my knowledge in the moment, I was in a happy marriage and enjoyed my life and laughed and was a part of a church and Bible study and everything just seemed to be going really great. Um, and it really wasn't until we had been married for seven years. So almost together for, you know, 12, 13 years before I realized that anything was wrong. Um, and Mm. so my story is kind of coming, coming through the other side of just my whole, kind of framework for life with him was, uh, you know, torn down. Yeah. So what gave you indication that some things might be cracking? Um, you know, looking back at it, uh, even though I was very blindsided by things in one sense, I do know that I inherently had a sense that something was shifting in him Um, and it was just in some small things, just what he chose to listen to and digest and how he was speaking. And, uh, it's kind of, um, I know it's interesting looking back on it. I I wasn't as aware of spiritual warfare at the time, but looking back on it, I had a sense that there was a darkness Um, that was there. Mm. I just, I kind of thought we were getting past it. There was a move and new jobs and frustrations and all that. And so I kind of thought that everything was back together and okay again. Um, But really kind of this, uh, you know, this behavior of his was going on and I just was not aware of it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like the enemy can be so subtle and our own flesh can be so subtle of entangling us into things that will take us away from the Lord. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you also talk about loss and confusion in your story. And how did that enter? Yeah, so kind of, um, I guess, fleshing out uh, the the high points of of, um, my story, you know, um, just to give a little background, you know, we went through the move and kind of got to a place where we're ready to have a family and I'd actually, um, gotten pregnant and then miscarried. Um, and then a few months later found out that, uh, my ex had been cheating on me with another woman. Um, and, uh, so yeah, uh, you know, I want I do want to say that, one of the things I love about the story was just 
how God had his hand in everything. And um, the fact that I found out even I feel like was ordained by God because it involved a pocket dial um, while my ex was at lunch with his mistress. Um, And so I feel like the Lord is very gracious in revealing things to me. Um, But um, yeah. Well, about that, that pocket dial was while he was at lunch (laughs) with the mistress to a friend, right? Of y'all. Yes. To a friend, a mutual friend. So I had, he had started acting odd and I reached out to a friend and it's, it's, interesting that he was the one that was put on my heart because I really didn't know him all that well, but I just knew that he followed the Lord. Um, he actually lived in a different city and I just called him and, um, said, you know, something doesn't seem right. And he said, I'm going to reach out to him. And so I think maybe he had texted him and then my ex accidentally pocket dialed him back. And so, yeah, he overheard 11 minutes of a conversation between him and another woman, um, and then confronted him. And then, kind of when that was a dead end, um, then they brought in other Christian men to confront him. And it really, they um, gave him an ultimatum at some point and said, you know, you have to tell her, otherwise we are going to. And so that was what forced him to come clean um, was, you know, that group of men (laughs) coming in. Yes, which is a gift. And so how did your husband respond and what were the steps y'all took? Yeah, so um, I was really surprised because my initial reaction was, you know, in that moment, there's so much shock and just, um, you know, I I know the first night I literally just stared at the wall for all night. Um, But the wife, (laughs) yeah, the wife of the guy, yes, lots of emotions and thoughts and just all racing around. but the wife, she was super sweet and she knew when I was going to get the news and was pretty much waiting up for the call, even though she had a newborn baby and really encouraged me to forgive. And, mm-hmm. um, so I got to thinking about it and thought, you know what, that is the example that Jesus set. And if, um, if he's willing to move forward, then I can do this too. And so, uh, the surprising thing was that when I presented that, that he didn't seem super excited about (laughs) trying to turn things around and work on our marriage. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, um, there was sort of a limbo period trying to uh, figure out which way he was going to go. And then eventually I had to set some boundaries um, and kind of say, you know, if you're not wanting to work on our marriage, then you need to go elsewhere. Um, And that's one thing I did learn a lot through this process was how to set boundaries. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm definitely a people pleaser and want to see the best in people. um, But I had to learn how to also draw some lines in order to protect my heart and ultimately allow him to um, be in a place where he would have to work his stuff out. So, Mm -hmm. right. And especially that's so hard when you're in marriage and you, you know, that's what you married is to have a lifelong uh, dream of being yes. you know, together and building a life. And so it broke my heart in your story when you shared about how you and your ex-husband, that you made a plan. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I thought this is so wise that you had help making the plan, but then it went sour. Right. Share about, a little bit about that. Yeah. So after we separated for a bit, there appeared to be a complete turnaround. Um, 
just, you know, I don't know what I was thinking. It's you, you know, all that. And uh, the Thanksgiving holiday was approaching. And so we went to a counselor, uh, you know, hand in hand and decided we were going to tackle it and we were going to do a do over and told my parents, you know, we're not coming home for Thanksgiving. We're doing something on our own. And of course, part of the plan was for him to end the affair and, uh, you know, an email was supposed to be sent that kept not being sent. Um, you know, I did catch him messaging the other woman while we were together. And, um, and so it became obvious that it hadn't ended. And at the end of that, supposedly at the end of that trip, supposedly she had broken up with him. And that's when I went on his phone, which I had never done before. I, I, you know, I had complete trust. And so I just never even thought. Um, But I, when I looked to confirm if she had actually broken up with him, I found another, you know, message kind of of a a seductive nature. Um, I, to this day, I don't know if that was actually with her at the time. I thought it was, but what I ended up finding out later was that there was another woman that he was involved with as well. Um, besides, uh, the one that I knew about and, you know, kind of just fast forwarding about a week later is when I got on his computer and discovered that it wasn't just two women, but that this had been going on for over a decade that he had been on a website meeting Mm -hmm. other women. Um, so it kind of went from bad to worse. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I wasn't sure if I could, for- well, I could forgive, but I wasn't sure if things would be able to be repaired at that point. I know, because I mean, that's just devastating. I feel devastating for you and for him in the sense of like, he's living underneath this dark, Wow, right. and right, and now you're you're finding out devastating information. That how do you come back from that? Uh, you know, what, yeah. what did y'all do? It was really hard. Um, again, in that moment, I just wasn't sure that it would be able to be repaired, and I think that we both knew um, that that it kind of felt like the end. And so, sort of without words, it was just a foregone conclusion that he was packing up and leaving the next day. And, um, surprisingly, it wasn't that much longer that he had asked me if I would accompany him to his company party. And, you know, we had kind of a Christmas party (laughs) and we had kind of started talking again. And I was thinking, you know, Buster, I'm doing you a favor, helping you, um, you know, save face Mm -hmm. in front of your friends. But in that process, you know, it kind of rekindled. Um, the good things that were there. And so um, he started staying at the house more. And so, you know, my hope um, all throughout this process was that he would change, that his heart would change and that God would grab a hold of him and that, you know, this other woman, these other women and lifestyle would be repulsive. And so I kind of came to a place where I thought, Okay, for better or for worse, I was hoping that was, you know, prostate cancer when he was 90. Um, But instead, it's infidelity while we're in our 30s. And -hmm. but I can I can deal with this. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, my um, awareness of sexual addiction was pretty much Tiger Woods and his wife running out and, you know, bashing his car. I I didn't really know much about it, but. The more that I 
was in this marriage, I realized that that was kind of what was at the root. And so then my thought process became to, um, that if he were willing to work through the problems, um, go to counseling, um, go to a retreat center, you know, a facility, whatever it took to turn around and save the marriage that I could be on board too. And, um, so that's kind of where we were in the early part of, um, you know, I mentioned the Christmas party. So I would say kind of, you know, end of the year and into the early part of the new year, that's sort of where we were with me just praying. And, um, unfortunately there kept being excuses and delays for not getting help and excuses Mm -hmm. for not believing what the therapist was saying and recommending for him. Um, Mm -hmm. and so, uh, things were just really stagnant. Um, And there was kind of, you know, a turning point when I decided, okay, we have to separate, um, you know, semi-permanently unless there's major change. Um, I I can talk about that, but I don't want to jump again. (laughs) Well, yeah, that is one thing that comes up in these, you know, in this kind of situation, especially with sexual addiction is, you know, why do some find freedom and some don't? And I know that's a mystery mm-hmm. at times in God's mm-hmm. hands. But what are some indications now that you look back of a heart that's truly wanting to change and a heart that's just wanting uh, wanting to have things better, you know, kind of their way, but not, yeah. not quite changing? Right. Um, yeah, it, it's really hard to discern, um, especially if, you know, you've never been in this situation before. And, um, you know, if you haven't really been taught how to um, really look for true evidence of change. Um, And if you're dealing with somebody who's struggling in these areas, uh, you know, this has been their long-term coping mechanism, their safety blanket. It's where they go when they're upset. Um, There's a huge amount of shame And um, that just kind of propels them into this uh, continual addictive cycle. And so not surprisingly, these are also people that are typically very good at manipulating um, and doing what I learned to be called gaslighting, which is sort of Mm -hmm. using a half truth and kind of twisting it just a little bit. And so you, as the victim in the situation, are thinking that you're crazy, that you're too demanding, that you're, you know, you should be more this or more that, and then this wouldn't have happened and whatever. And so all that to say, in my case, there was a lot of verbal promising and overtures and gifts and mm-hmm. poems and notes and, and all this kind of thing. And it was really, really hard because my biggest fear was choosing to walk away from my marriage just shy of him getting healthy. And then somebody else mm-hmm. would get to have the healthy version of him. And I would have, you know, lost everything and walked away. And so mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. Um, you know, to a certain extent, forgiving and, and all that is, um, you know, great. But then at some point, it almost becomes an abuse situation because they are manipulating you into staying one more day, one more week, one more, you know, giving it one more mm-hmm. shot when the reality was in my case, you know, there wasn't true change. And so mm-hmm. um, one thing I wanted to say is that uh, there's a book that I read that was really good uh, called Worthy of Her Trust. It's by Stephen Arterburn yeah. and Jason Martinkus. And 
he is somebody who struggled with sexual addiction and um, talks about once he decided to, um, you know, have this life with his wife and choose to let go of that the lengths that he went to to prove to her that he was faithful. Um, there was no bar that he wouldn't jump for her in order to do that. Oh. And it made me realize that wasn't what I was seeing. I was hearing a lot mm-hmm. of um, a lot of words seeing a lot of overtures, but were there concrete steps, you know, um, are they willing to have their, their phone tracked? I mean, I never wanted to play detective or have to do any of that, but somebody who has complete transparency, look at my phone anytime, not hiding it from me. Um, even when I'm supposed to be able to look at it. Um, so complete and total honesty about where they are, who they're talking to, um, if they're struggling with sexual addiction, then I think there need to be concrete steps towards um, putting mechanisms into place to prevent them from being able to have access to pornography and, you know, different sites that are going to fuel the addiction. So getting a service like Covenant Eyes to make sure that they're limited in what they can be looking at. Um, all these kinds of things, a complete willingness to turn 180 degrees counseling. Mm-hmm you know, retreats, whatever they need to get healthy, that they're willing to completely do that um, and involve you in it. Those are the kinds of things that I think need to be demonstrated in order for you to know that they are truly changing and that it's not just Mm -hmm. words. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see that. I can see having an example of a man who did take those steps. Then Mm -hmm. you have an idea of what that would even look like. What it would look like. Because it's hard to discern when you obviously love this person and you also, there are good things about the person or else you wouldn't have married him. And so it's hard to discern that. And, And I see what you're saying about when someone wants to keep their addiction and also keep the person. And so it can't happen. And so, and it can happen, but it can't stay healthy and neither one can stay healthy in that. And the uh, hard thing. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. The hard thing is that I know in his case, he wanted both, like you're saying. And so, um, as you can imagine with anybody, again, if you can kind of depersonalize it and realize that this is their, their crutch and the way that they've dealt with things, it's, it's very hard for them to leave it. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they don't want you, but they don't know how to exist with you without having this safety blanket as well. And so, Um, even though it feels really nefarious and awful, you know, the treatment, it really, um, and, and I can feel this way more being on the other side, I'm able to have compassion and see that Mm -hmm. I believe he wanted to change. He wanted to be able to be there for me and just didn't have the goods to do it. And, uh, Mm -hmm. and so that's why Mm -hmm. you really need to see those concrete steps, um, showing that they're willing to get healthy. Yeah, that makes, that makes sense. And so, where was his faith in this? You said you saw it unraveling. And so what, what did that look like through this struggle? Yeah. So two things. I know that when I went to my counselor, one of the first times, and she's alluded to something about, um, you know, we got to kind of figure out what you weren't seeing. And I was, when you first started dating him and all that, and I, uh, was sort of offended. Like, uh, he was perfect. He was the boy next door. He's the guy that everybody would want their daughter to marry. And as I got, yeah. 
But as I got healthier um, and wiser, I could see um, things that I hadn't seen before. And so on the note of faith, I think that I was a little bit wanting to see who I wanted to see that actually wasn't there. So, you know, as I mentioned, we kind of met in Christian community. We were both involved in some ministry work. And so in my head, whoop, check the box. He's a Christian. But was he having active, quiet times? Was he talking to me about what the Lord was teaching him? Um, You know, were we praying together when we had conflict? Um, You know, those kinds of things weren't happening. But, Mm. you know, we were working at the camp together every summer. So surely he's a believer. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, you know, that's one thing is that, I don't think I really made an honest appraisal of where he was spiritually when we were young. Um, But, you know, again, we were involved in Bible studies, you know, all that sort of thing. Um, And so I did see a shift from kind of who he had been um, as this started to happen. Like I said, I, I literally remember moments of looking at his eyes and seeing the color actually being darker in his eyes. Um, Like I said, I, yeah, I've become much more aware of um, the spiritual realm, and and I think you can really see it. Um, mm-hmm. it and I know now it, it kind of happened after this move, and um, through work, some of the people that he was with, I think, were dragging him down spiritually. And you know, um, I think as this foothold, you know, the the original foothold was you know, pornography and that kind of like spun into this meeting people online and that kind of spun into, you know, meeting people in person and that sort of spun into having, you know, one person and not one person, but two people and, you know, on and on and on. And so just kind of like, as this degradation was happening, I think if I had been more honest with myself in the moment, I was starting to see the fruits of that, but I didn't want to see it. And I was resting on who I thought he was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think that I learned a prayer way back when of, Lord, help me to see things I don't want to see. And I mean, that can be for anything. It can be for a relationship. It can be for our own, you know, our own stuff or even. So I think it's true. Our heart can, um, can tell itself what it wants to hear at times. And that is something that I know we all have gone through in some way or another. But then you talk about how there's a turning point in your story. And this is one of the things that we coach women to think about. And that turning point was feeling like you really did need, the Lord was really guiding you and you filed for divorce. So how did that work out mm-hmm. for you? Or how did, how did all that go, you know, through your head? Yeah, right. So I kind of alluded to it earlier, um, sort of rocking along in the early parts of the year, hoping and praying for change and just not seeing um, anything that looked really solid but kind of, um, you know, two major turning points. One was uh, that spring I was putting together a real estate sign um, in real estate and found some trash uh, and found a Valentine from this woman. And um, sometimes I like to share this story because I think, again, it just shows how good God is. Um, because at this point, he knows that I'm aware um, and it's going to make it a little bit harder for him to hide things. But I found this Valentine and 
of course, he tried to tell me it was from the previous year, but the Valentine had a print date on it. And it was from just a couple months, you know, prior to when I found it. So I knew it couldn't have been from the previous year, which I had already known about their involvement by that, but that it was still going on um, very recently. And so I love that the Lord used something as simple as a cheesy, you know, two by two Valentine with a date to show me um, we didn't need, you know, all the sophistication on the cell phone and all that. Um so that was a big turning point where um, we sold our house and separated. And I still believed that, um, you know, change could happen. And I think, again, back to the boundaries thing, boundaries do need to be drawn. And um, sometimes that can actually help the person come to a place of health. If they're continued to, if they're allowed to continue to have all the conveniences of having, you know, this person as their spouse and, you know, their home that they're comfortable in and all that, then it makes it harder for them sometimes, I think, to desire that change. So this was kind of my way of, you know, doing that and also protecting myself. Um, and then sort of in that period of uh, separation, there was another point that, uh, you know, he had supposedly stopped to win me back. And then another point when I found out that yet again, he had been with her and, um, in that moment, I felt like the Lord was telling me, you know, you've done what I wanted. Grace, 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 believing that change can happen. But if you choose not to move forward um, with a consequence, then you're enabling his behavior. And so I, I just sensed that. And I would say that's probably one of my biggest points for anybody who is dealing with this is that. Nobody can tell you when the point is, you know, is it, do I give them three months? Do I give them one chance? Do I give them 10 chances? You know, my story, we're skipping over a lot, but there were multiple opportunities for redemption and then multiple opportunities where he chose to go back um, mm -hmm. and, uh, and not, you know, not be faithful. And so there's no way for anyone outside of your situation to tell you when that point is. And so the only thing I can say is that you have to be constantly giving it to the Lord, constantly pressing into him, praying about it, you know, every single moment. Um, and then you will know when that point is. And like in my situation, that was such a fixation for me. When, when do I, you know, stay? When do I go? How many more chances? And then I had that moment where I just felt very, very clearly it's time to file. Um, and I also had a good therapist that when I did it reminded me that filing is not divorce. There's still months mm -hmm. before the actual divorce happens. And so I continued to pray until the moment, you know, I was in the courtroom um, yeah. and believing that God, God could change things even up until that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that it really comes out in your story, that surrender mm -hmm. and that faith mm -hmm. and living in that place of, softness to the Lord. And, and I love that you had community. You had a, a therapist, a counselor speaking yep. into your situation. And then how did you involve other people in your life? Or did you have some other friends that you um, entrusted with what was going on? Yeah, I had really great friends and family that were willing to talk to me and be an ear at any point. Um, I wrote pages upon pages and journals too, and, and, mm -hmm. uh, process that. But I really gave myself permission, you know, if I needed to talk to a friend, um, especially in this day and age, if like people are just, um, 
I mean, hey, a, a text message is, is a nice encouragement too, but sometimes you just need to get on the phone and hear somebody's voice. And I That's gave true. myself a lot of grace that season to, um, to reach out to the people that I needed and, and they were awesome. And so what would you say to a woman who doesn't feel like she has community and she feels alone? Yeah. Um, and I, I sympathize with that, especially right now with COVID and everything looking a little bit different. Um, but you know, I think that the community can be found in your church. Um, you know, I met some neat women um, through a single mother's event that I volunteered at. And that was an interesting experience for me because if I'm honest, I had a lot of pride about being somebody who had everything together and thought that, you know, a lot of people who were single moms, well, oh, they made, you know, poor partner selections or, you know, whatnot. And here I was, you know, I had had that miscarriage and had that not happened, then I would easily be in that situation right now. And so it moved me to compassion and I met a really uh, dear friend working that event. And so it's kind of like being a child again, where you have to put yourself out there and meet new friends. And mm-hmm. um, I was also a part of, uh, there's a group called Codependence of Sex Addicts. So it's sort of like with um, Alcoholics Anonymous, you have uh, mm-hmm. Al-Anon for the people who, you know, are, are in relationship with these folks who are struggling and, you know, they were different than I am. And some of them were believers and some of them weren't, but I learned from them as well. And so I think you really have to reach out and establish community. Um, being separated, especially it was really hard because I was married, but I didn't have the companionship of my spouse anymore. And Mm -hmm. I wasn't single. And so, you know, I was not going to be dating anybody or looking for the next thing. And so I kind of had to get creative about uh, building that community. And a girl I got acquainted with did a really great job of organizing adult, you know, gatherings um, through her church. And so I went to a lot of those things. And met Mm -hmm. folks and um you know it feels a little odd and foreign because you're Mm -hmm. used to always having this one person by your side but all of this is um you know a huge growing experience if if you'll let it let it be that Mm -hmm. so true and the lord is there to help and he's also there to lend his help through people and so i i encourage the, the person that maybe the woman that may be feeling alone right now to to pray and ask God to help you and then see where he might lead you for support and people who are able to come alongside you. And so I love Erica, how you explain some of that community in your life. And what else would you say about that you've learned about loving a person who is addicted? Um, you know, if, uh, it's hard. <laughs> um, yeah. Right. Bottom yeah. Line. Yeah. And if you find yourself in that situation and you are married, then it's going to take a lot of work to try to reconcile and they're going to have to want to change. Um, I think because of my experience, it's also made me counsel girls who are dating a little bit differently 
So for example, I had a friend that dated somebody who was struggling with another kind of addiction. And, you know, I just really cautioned her to look at it and that it's marriage is a challenge and marriage with addiction is really, really hard. And so once you're married and you've made this covenant, um, the consequences are pretty severe to tear that apart. And so to be really, really wise before choosing to enter into that. Um, But I I do believe that change can happen. There have been moments where I've been really jaded and just kind of like leopard doesn't change its spots, you know? And I know I said Mm -hmm. that to my counselor one time and she said, I wouldn't be in this business if I believed that were the case. Um, And so I do Mm -hmm. believe that change can happen but it takes very deliberate, concrete steps. Like we talked about turning 180 degrees and um, no holds barred on rebuilding, you know, trust and getting healthy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. And I, yes, there are times when change does seem to happen. And then other times when, you know, it, it doesn't go the way we expect and either way, it right. doesn't go the way we expected. But I think about right. family members even who, who are addicted, you know, when we are living with a family member in that way, just the hardness of being there and not knowing how to support the person, but yet not enable them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the, the enablement is a tricky piece. Yeah, yeah. And it seems like that's a case-by-case situation. And what you're saying is to really mm-hmm. listen for, for God and that yes. and listen to counsel. Yes. And be with other people who are also processing this type of um, pattern in people they love. Right. And so, um, and then you talk about after you all divorced and then you started recovering fun, Erica is what you call her. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I remember, so talk a little about, about recovering who you really are. Um, yeah. So I just got a lot wiser about, um, you know, who I really was and how to select healthy people. And, it, um, I think that the therapy kind of, um, you know, started out dealing with this marital situation and then sort of parlayed into me uh, getting myself healthy and looking at, you know, uh, what made me choose someone like this and um, what is it about my personality that I kind of choose to take on other people's problems as my own and what's going on with this whole people-pleasing thing and what's going on with this whole, like, OCD workaholic thing. And so um, it really caused me to look at my sin and my shortcomings. And that is still in process. But I feel like the more that I, you know, continue to learn about myself, um, that God is just making me a healthier and healthier person and kind of bringing out this fun side. Um, I, for a long time, I've, I've been such a perfectionist and worried what others thought and wanted to have it all together. And um, the Lord has just continued to strip me of that um, to the point with where, as I was just sharing with you, you know, I think about as a little girl dreaming about, you know, being in a, a big fancy house or, you know, whatever. 
And now I live in a late 1800s farmhouse on <laughs> property and pretty much wear the same leggings and like frumpy farm shoes every day. So um, <laughs> even just like in the details, I see how he is drawing me out of who I thought I needed to be and who I really am. Um, so I still have a long way to go, but um, definitely he's, he's doing a work in me. That's where I love that. So beautiful how that is our hope that he's sanctifying and refining us and making us more who he designed us to be through the challenges and struggles and battles. And so I see something very beautiful coming out of your story. You talk about that, how the dust of your vase. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, the, the change couldn't be accomplished without going through that. Mm. And so tell us a little bit about um, that you were dating when you wrote your story and now there's more to your story. Yes. So um, I started dating someone about two and a half years ago um, and got married about a year and a half ago um, to my husband. And Mm. he's actually the one, he says Fenerica, (laughs) Um, but he's the one that coined that term. And that was kind of like, you know, if I do something silly, it's like, oh, Fenerica's coming out, so watch out. Um, <laughs> but he has been another tool that God has used to uh, set me free from a lot. And it's interesting because in a lot of ways, we are so different. Um, but I feel like the Lord uses his kind of just if you know him fun, he's fun, he's whimsical, all that, that kind of draws me out and my structure complements um, where his fun and whimsy needs a little structure. And so um, it's just neat to see how the Lord did that. And um, mm. yeah, and, and just funny things. I mean, we grew up a mile apart. We went to all the same schools. Um, you know, we got had just kind of missed each other in life. And it was just neat to see you know, there are times where I tell him, like, I wish I had just met you, you know, such a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And, but we both recognize that we would not be the same people that we are now had we not made our mistakes and gone through life and then, you know, come together at this point in time. Yes. Yes. And amen. God has his timing. And what was it like to date again after you went through your divorce? Oh my goodness. (laughs) It was so hard. Um, You know, I I met my ex when I was 18. And besides having a a high school boyfriend for three months, I had never dated before. And so I had to learn a lot in my 30s. And it wasn't pretty. And um, I had a lot of fear because of my ex's, you know, life online that I would run into that, you know, somebody who I thought was available that really, you know, was married or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, um, and that is a lot of the world these days are the apps. And, and I actually, I did meet my husband through a dating app. So, um, you know, they're not all bad, but yeah, I know, I know they were, I told my friends, I'm like, don't, I know you think it's weird or there's a stigma or, you know, whatever. I don't think as much, you know, nowadays, but I'm like, get over it. Um, you know, you have to, um, meet a lot of frogs for sure. Um, (laughs) but it's, it's worth it. But yeah, I, I struggled, uh, you know, and there are, um, yeah, dating's just it, it's different. Like so, especially if you've never really dated before. So it was all very, very new to me. Um, so, uh, and one thing I wanted to say back to the fact that I am married, um, 
is that a husband doesn't magically solve everything. Um, you know, we're still two individual sinful people who, uh, you know, rub up against each other. And so I like to share that just because I feel like my story kind of has this like fairy tale, happy ending. And then she married this, you know, wonderful Christian man and all that. But at the end of the day, um, it's still about you and the Lord. Um, no man is going to replace him and no man is going to be, um, he's not going to be your savior. You know, he can't be, he's a, he's a fallible, mm-hmm. sinful, you know, partner. So, mm-hmm. uh, even though I'm so thankful yeah. just for people to hear that. And that he is, the Lord is at the center of your marriage. And that mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. is something that you both can draw upon your relationship yes. with him. And yes. It has, and, yes. Relationships are messy no matter how you shape it. <laughs> right. Right. But I do feel like, I was smarter when I dated this time and the same kinds of things that we talked about that I looked for, um, that I would have looked for in my ex, um, to reassure me, um, that he was worthy of my trust. Those are the same hoops that my husband has gone through, uh, for me. And, you know, I really looked at, is he willing to do the things that I need to feel safe in this relationship? Um, and, I also want to say, you know, I have this false belief sometimes that I'm too much um, and that I'm asking too much. And I think a lot of women do that. And that's how they end up settling. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, well, I don't want my husband to go to a strip club, but if every now and then, you know, he does for a bachelor party, I don't want him to be the dork that says no. It's like, no, if you don't want that in your marriage um, and you Mm -hmm. desire to have a pure marriage, then a man who loves you and is following the Lord is going to be okay with being strong enough to say, no, like that's not my thing. And I'm committed to my wife and I'm out, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And so, and that was probably part of the mistakes in dating too, was willing to make some compromises. Oh, this man says he's a Christian, but you know what? I've fallen for that before. <laughs> Let's see the fruit. Um, but it's really, really tempting when your life's kind of been derailed to want to um, to be married again and to kind of get your your life back on the tracks how you think it was supposed to be. But I really do have a huge heart for encouraging women not to settle, to stand up for what it is that you want in your marriage and not to settle um, on what the Lord's best is for you. Because I could have, there were, there were other people I dated where I could have said, well, this is good enough. Um, mm-hmm. And it was hard for me to pull myself out of those situations, but I am so thankful that ultimately I clung to what I knew was God's best for me and waited for that. Yeah, it's so true. Being single myself, it is a place of faith to believe that God can bring someone who mm-hmm. will want to make the sacrifices and will have the heart to um, the heart for me that I believe God wants to deposit into him. So I think it's a place of faith for single yeah. women. Like what you're saying is to believe that God is able or, and if he hasn't, I haven't married yet, but you know, he's, he's enough. Um, and so, but to right. believe that God can be enough either way, whether there's someone in your life or not. So yeah. um but tell us a little bit about what's the blessing that you've received from sharing your story. Um, you know, I think that 
the more it's interesting, the more that you kind of share it and uh, process it, the less space it really does take in the grand scheme of your whole story, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So like, it's funny for me to come and, and talk about this today a little bit, because thankfully I am in a healthy place, um, you know, and have had a chance to process it. Not to say that we can't all have moments where, you know, we're triggered and old stuff kind of comes back up. But I think that really processing it in the moment um, is, is super healthy. And, um, and I think sharing it with people is a big part of that. And one of my favorite things is just, it feels good to pay it forward. I was pretty amazed. Mm -hmm. Again, my only awareness of sexual addiction was like the Tiger Woods scandal. And I thought I had to be the only person on the planet that was dealing with this. And the only person on the planet who kind of had the uh, knight in shining armor, you know, sort of like fall from grace Mm -hmm. and, the Lord was really good to put other women in my life through random connections who I'd have lunch with and it would come out and I'm like, Oh my goodness, you've dealt with this. Like, please help me. And so I think when you're going through it, you just, um, it's really encouraging to have people who have been through it and have gotten on the other side. And I had those people come into my life. And so I like being able to be that voice for somebody else when they're in the depths of it too. Mm -hmm, For sure. And that is the hope. And that is why we want to share our Christ-centered stories of hope. Thank you, Erica. I know yours is a vulnerable story. It's, um, it's a place of, you know, heart, a very heartfelt and um, putting your heart out there. So thank you for sharing it with us. Yeah, my pleasure. And for those of you who are listening and you have a, a desire to process this, your story, a chapter of your story is what we call it. It's a, a time period or event where God came through for you. Then we'd love for you to look at our retreats. You can go on our site and we have a retreat page. You choose the level of vulnerability of whatever you want to share. And so, but it's a wonderful way to deepen friendships with your community and get to know God on an also deeper level and just be refreshed. So You can also take a look on our site at our library and find Erica's story. It's called A Beautiful Vase. So thank you all for spending time with us today, and we will talk again.